Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hello. Breaker, breaker, one nine, breaker, breaker, TV Todd. Are you out there? Do you got your ears on? I certainly do come back. Or that's a 10-4 comeback. Yeah, I think we should drop that right here and just say this week we're doing Smokey and the Bandit. Yes, not not Convoy, which is the other way that could have gone, I guess. Yeah, that could have gone really wrong, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, true. Yeah. But but no, we're eastbound and down, 18 wheels are rolling. Well, so, first westbound and down, then eastbound. Yes, yes. You got to load up the truck. So uh, this is, of course, one of the biggest blockbusters of all time. It was only beat out. It came out in 1977. It was only beat out by Star Wars. I heard of that. This, this movie, I mean, was 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 making over a hundred million dollars in 1977 dollars. Yeah, on like a four million dollar budget. I mean, this thing was huge, and yep. we. This is another one we saw. It was an HBO staple in the early yeah. 80s. We watched it a lot, and we watched I, this on the HBO box. We used to have. Remember those? Yes. Remember the HBO box? Yeah, this is one of the ones that we bought. This, like, Superman. Uh, yeah. So, and it had been a while since I had had, you know, there, there was probably, I, I first rewatched it, I would say, about 10 or 12 years ago. I was like, oh, let me give it another look. You know, I, I bet you I'm going to think it's stupid. It's, it's not going to be as good as I remember it. And it wasn't, it was better than I remembered it. I enjoyed this movie so much more. I was like, this, this was this movie really, really holds up. It, it it is so much better than I had remembered it being. I enjoyed it immensely. It's it's a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I thought the last time I had seen this movie that I could truly remember, I must have been six or seven, or maybe slightly younger. And again, we were watching it on HBO on the HBO box. And for, you know, younger listeners who don't know what that is, way back in the day before HBO was offered on cable uh, directly, um, you would get your HBO box. It was like a specific, you know, HBO discrambler had like a little key. And, uh, the you know, the HBO installer would come and give you the box, uh, sort of like, you know, the cable now, but you would just have a DVR or whatever that gives you all the channels or a cable box that would give you all the channels. Um, a, a, you know, premium channels such as HBO required like its own descrambler. And um, I remember enjoying it, but again, I was like six or so. And um, for whatever reason, I, I think, you, you know, you had brought up the movie again some years ago. And I was like, you know, I should watch that again. I can't remember if that's any good. I can't remember if it holds up. I remember watching it when I was six. I remember liking it, but also thinking like, I just remember it being about like a car and Burt Reynolds and it's probably kind of lame, right? Like it's probably, you know, just a bunch of chases and that's about it. And maybe I'll get around to it, but you know, I've moved on to better things. Yeah, you know, it's probably like 30 or so at this point and still just never got around to watching it. And then finally, when we started doing this podcast, you brought it up yet again, you got me the, um, dvd to watch it and i'm like all right yeah let's, you know let's do it this is as good a reason as any and while i i didn't expect to hate it i knew you were a fan of the film because you would watch it again more recently um i didn't fully know what to expect but i remembered it finally hit me that oh that's right this is you know this is that movie with uh, buford t justice of course you know the, the the immortal jackie gleason and um pretty much from the go when this movie starts quickly um 
it, it engages you very fast. Um, uh, every single character in it is just fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, I, 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 I liked every minute. I loved, I loved every minute of this movie um, as well. The, you know, trigger warnings. The movie was made in the seventies, and that, and it certainly has, you know, a, um, a different feel. As you know, some of the context might have a different feel now, but at, at the same time, like it's just a tremendous fun all the way through. Um, yeah, ahead. there are there are going to be people who, you know, every time Jackie Gleason says a single line, are going to be falling to the floor and having epileptic fits over what's coming out of his mouth. Sure, but exactly. Here's the thing: he's the bad guy. He's absolutely. He's a, mis- he's a misogynist, bigot, racist, yep, fascist. Basically, yeah. he's yep. the bad guy. You know, he's absolutely the bad guy. He's loathsome yet somehow lovable. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say lovable, but no, he, lovable is it. He's fascinating. I should he's say, I should say enjoyable. Right. He's 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 fascinating. He's he's entertaining in, in sort of a dark way. I mean, you don't agree with the word that he says, but it's it's objectively funny. At least if you're far enough away from the south and you live in the north and you're six years old, you know. He's he's just it, it's just it's incredible. Uh, and, and he you know, he does get his he does get his butt handed to him by the by the uh, bandit throughout the entire film. Um and the kind of funny part about that, too, as the movie goes on, like you can tell he's clearly a local legend. There's CB chatter going back and forth. Like it shouldn't be too hard to figure out who he is eventually if you just calm down. But that just all more serves to just the the, the, the type of guy that uh, Justice was. Like he just he couldn't let it go. He he's, could just investigate later. Like people know who he is. He's the bandit, you know. He's Archie Bunker with a badge. Right. And the uh, the bandit who he hadn't met until the events of this movie. Like so what a few days i guess or what what, no was it 28 hours i forget the total time now at any rate um uh, or maybe it was like 20 hours or so i forget exactly now but it's essentially like he immediately became his white whale the bandit became uh justice's white whale well as we'll get into it there were more the, the reason for him first going after the bandit has nothing to do with who the bandit was well this is true that yeah how can i forget the entire yeah sally field i mean sally field I mean, I think almost everybody knows this movie, even if they haven't yeah. seen it. And it's, sure. I mean, it's so, I don't think it's on any streaming service for a subscription at the moment. It was on Peacock like a month ago or something. All right. But I mean, this movie is so available to find on just about every format. If you go on Amazon.com, mm-hmm. you can buy it on physical media. I mean, you can get the set that has all three of the original movies and then the four TV spinoff movies for like $10. Which on I completely DVD. forgot existed. I forgot there were that many. Honestly, there's no reason to have anything but <clears throat> Smokey and the Bandit as far as I'm concerned. For sure. Yeah, it's far and away but, the best of the series. Where you can get them all for cheap. There's no reason not to, to get them all. I guess unless you wanted, I don't know if such a thing exists, but there might be some like super collector's edition or something. Possibly. So anyways, this movie is about, it was created by Hal Needham himself, Mm -hmm. a stunt driver. And it stars Burt Reynolds as Bo the Bandit Darvell. Yep. Sally Field as Frog. That's yeah, nickname. that's the only name she gets. Yeah, they should never mention his name. Uh, 
Jerry Reed as Cletus Snow, the snowman. Yep, not Jackie, the brother of Hank. Jackie Gleason as Buford T. Justice. Now, the premise is Burt Reynolds as the bandit, as we, we, we mentioned, is a legend. He is a legend amongst truck drivers, and the song opens with the ballad of the bandit, how all his legendary deeds <laughs> as a truck driver. Right, you know, if you're including slowing down his runaway truck by jumping out and dragging his heels, yeah, which you, you, no, <laughs> that would just that would just severely injure you, um, most likely. But if if you ever lose track of the plot of the film, just listen to the ballad that goes on because it's pretty much the exposition of the entire movie. Eastbound and down. Yep. So yeah, the movie begins with well, it begins with a little scene about a truck driver getting in trouble, but th- that's. You know, that's kind of a bit of a setup. What, what the mm-hmm. movie really begins where we meet our two Texan, rich Texans, uh, Big Enos Burdett and his son, Little Enos Burdett. And uh, I forget, I've already forgotten who plays Big Enos, but Little Enos is played by the legendary Paul Williams. Mm-hmm. And they're two Texas, you know, rich Texans, and they're visiting Atlanta, Georgia because... Uh, Big Enos has a horse running in uh, uh, the Southern Classic, and he wants Coors beer. And he challenges the bandit. He goes to this truck rodeo where the bandit is there to sign autographs because he's the legendary truck driver. And he offers him $80,000 yes. to get a truckload of beer from Texarkana to Atlanta, Georgia to celebrate. In less than twenty hours. Now, I, I'm still I'm not a hundred percent clear, but I am under the impression that is eighty thousand plus expenses. Yes, because he pays him for the truck and, and the, the car. Beer. He gives him money for the, the well. He gives uh, that's right. He gives him money for the car and the beer. Right. Now, I sh- well, let's let's get into because I remember I I had to look this up when I had rewatched it. I was like, okay, why was it illegal to bring? cores because that's the big thing that this hinges on is that it was illegal to bring cores across the Mississippi from Texas. Right. It was bootlegging. Right. And apparently at the time and I don't know if it's because they changed their the way they brew the beer or just because it's easier to ship things cold. Coors was cold brewed. It was not pasteurized. And therefore, it could go bad. Like it, it basically had the shelf life of, say, milk. So, okay. You know, transporting it too far, it would it would go bad. So, it wasn't sold. There was no distribution rights outside of you know it was brewed in in Colorado and Texas, so distribution rights did not exist. Gotcha. Now you can get Coors almost anywhere. And I seem to remember as a kid, uh, Coors doing a commercial about how their beer was brewed cold, shipped cold, and stored cold. You know, you wouldn't find it sitting out like other beers. I vaguely remember them. I don't remember if this was like literally true, but I vaguely remember commercials involving like frozen trains and things like that, like going through Mm -hmm. mountains and stuff. Yes. So that was, that's where the whole bootlegging, uh, that came from and that's really like you know because you know he's even saying it's like okay getting the beer here getting to Texarkana and back in the time limit isn't the real problem 
he says bringing it across you know, east of Texas is bootlegging. Right. And that's well, what they're in danger of. Well, plus they arguably, and again, and another thing that's not entirely clear, but they steal this beer, don't they? No, because he, right at the beginning when Paul Williams is counting out the money, and it's like, you're all angry, but I yeah. like to kick his ass. <laughs> yeah. Those two are he great, says, actually. Those two are great. He says, I'm going to need money for the beer. And so he counts out the money. And then I'm going to need a fast car. Right. Out the money. Faster than that counts out more money. Now, when no. you think, but when you think about it, yes, when they get to yeah. the place where they're picking up the beer, they, he, Cletus mentions, should we should pay somebody for that mess we left in there? Right, because they trash they, the place and and technically steal. I think because they break in, trash the place, take four hundred cases of beer, start to leave an IOU, don't, and then leave. Which leads me to think that I think they just stole this beer. No, no, no. I think that you know Cletus wanted to pay for the mess. Uh, I, I you know, just logistically, and again, I you, I probably overthinking it. This is four hundred cases of beer. It would have to have been allocated by this distri- distributor. Right. They got there early. They were ahead of schedule. They didn't want to lose time, so they decided to load it themselves. I, I got it. fully believe the beer itself was paid for, and as Cletus says, the mess we left, that's what they probably should have left some extra cash for. I got you. Okay. All right. That makes sense, because that's that's like that's what I was wondering, too. It's like, OK, either because I assume that like you like, all right, they must have already set up the shipment to be picked up by them. Um, but then they went ahead and just grabbed it, which is not like technically they broke in and all that. But I see what you're saying. OK. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I believe the beer was allocated for them and probably even paid for in advance. Like we're going to be there to pick up the beer. And when they got there a half hour ahead of schedule, or actually they were an hour ahead of schedule at that point, they're like, well, let's not lose any time and wait for them to open. So they break in and, and take the beer that was paid for. Gotcha. So now we should mention, you know, Bandit's partner is played by Jerry Reed, uh, mm-hmm. Cletus Snow, the snowman. And sort of the reluctant partner, because when, when, Bandit shows up, obviously, you know, Cletus has, boy, a whole mess of kids yeah. and a wife that doesn't seem to like the Bandit one bit. Which is, yeah, probably fair. He, he gets him into trouble. <laughs> right. And Cletus isn't at all interested in going until he hears that they're going to make $80,000 to buy a brand new truck. In 1977 money. Yeah, that's yes. that's that's I mean, that's 80 grand is good scratch now, let alone in 77. So, again, it's clear that, that Cletus and, and uh, Bandit are themselves, you know, private uh, contractors. You know, they, they run shipments for whoever. So having a good rig right. is part of their business plan. Right. And- I mean, Bandit, Bandit's a race a racer, it seems like, as his day job. Um, Cletus is obviously, he owns, he owns a truck and he trucks, but it does seem like they've done this sort of thing before, which well, is why they knew to, to go, which is why the um, uh, um, Big Enius went to go talk to him in the first place. It's also, you know, because Cletus mentions is, I guess we won't both be riding in the rig, and it probably, right. and it was, I know it was a practice among some, you know, private truckers, is that with two of you, you just switch off every eight hours, and it keeps that right. rig moving the entire time. Right. And that's how you get, and that's, you know, the more loads you deliver, the more jobs you get, the more money you make as a right. self-employed trucker. 
Right. So, yes, we're introduced. He, he convinces Cletus that they're going to do it, and then he shows off his brand-new ride, the Pontiac Trans Am, that is going to block for the truck. And that's going to be... In order to keep the police away from the truck, which is not only going to have to speed, but any cop who decides they want to check the back is going to arrest them for bootlegging and confiscate the cores. And the car itself, which is, you know, pointed out to be a fast car and obviously is shown throughout the movie because um, Burt Reynolds as the bandit is driving it. They never really fawn over it, um, but the car itself will become a cultural icon for a good decade oh, yeah. or more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And to some, still to this day, you know. But that's the bandit's whole job is to is to be noticed and have the police chasing after him. Correct. So He's that the... the truck can just keep on going. Correct. The blocker, the police, they call it. Yes. All the police are chasing after the bandit while he's driving recklessly around. And Cletus can just keep on going. And I should say Cletus and his partner, Fred. Yes. You've got to love Fred the bastard. Fred. Oh, Fred's great. Um, I hope he's still in stuff. I doubt it, but I will see. I'll check the IMDb, I, and I think you will find that only Sally Field and Paul Williams are still with us. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. Um, so you know, they first they head off to Texarkana, and like we said, they get there, they get there ahead of schedule, and they show a little bit about. And at the time. Burt Reynolds was the top box office star. Mm-hmm. And you can t- just, he's got a charisma. He's just so likable. I mean, the first thing he does is when Big Venus and Little Venus show up and wake him up, the first thing he does is he gives that little trademark Burt Reynolds laugh. And yep. you just kind of like, this is great. I love this. And, and then there's, there's a scene where he's, you know, being chased by the police through this little town, and he looks directly at the camera, smiles, and, and not and like that sh- that shitty, you know, smug, muggy right. grin, and then drives up. But he gets away with it. He does. Um, you're the- like you're, you're charmed by it, and yep. then he just drives off. That was the power of Burt Reynolds in 1977 probably at the height of his powers i was gonna say would you say this is like the because i mean this is the movie when you think burt reynolds this is the movie that immediately comes to mind this is the look that immediately comes to mind for our generation i would say this is the definitive yeah burt reynolds movie Uh, an older generation may pick something else I see what you mean. He had a good, he had a good long Hollywood career, but yeah, yeah, and um, and a lot. And as you mentioned, this is you know this is something he had done. You know, this is the most recent thing he had done, but he was already an established and you know uh, box office uh, box office hit before this. But also, like between this movie and you know pretty much all the early eighties, he would do the, the sequel to this, the Cannonball Run, the sequel to Cannonball Run. Yep, and and you know other types of, of, you know, comedic movies. So this was almost the genre he, he, he reveled in at that time. Yep. But he was also a really good dramatic, like, you know, Deliverance. He gives a fantastic performance in Deliverance, which is probably as far from the bandit as you could get. Oh, sure. Sure. And then you'll see him, what, 20 years later in Boogie Nights. Exactly. 
So, I mean, the man, yeah, no, when I think Burt Reynolds, I obviously think this movie, maybe to an extent, Cannibal Run, um, but this is the Burt Reynolds that I remember, yeah. Um, but it's, that's I not to take well. away from his acting. I mean, he's a, he was a tremendous actor. I, I do as well. I usually mm-hmm. default to him being the bandit. Yep. So, you know, we they get to Texarkana, they get the, the everything up and ready to go, and it's on their way back that, you know, trouble finds them, and trouble finds them by way of Sally Field. Yes. Who... And and this is an interesting thing I noticed while watching it today was that just as he's flipping through bandits flipping through the CB, and he picks up somebody looking for a guy named Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Looking, this is moments before we first meet Sally Field, who coincidentally, oh yeah, would play Aunt May in the two Amazing Spider Man movies. That's right. You know, I thought that was kind of nifty. Yeah, so, that is that is funny. I didn't I never I didn't even pick up on that at all. She's standing in the middle of the road next to her broken down car in a wedding dress. Yes. And he's got a screech on the brakes to avoid running her down. And before he can even object, she's jumping in the car and saying, let's get the hell out of here. Right. This is a T-top convertible, um, which is, you know, hasn't been seen at least by anyone now for what, 30 years or more. But yeah, it's it's it's. It's a T-top convertible. She's, she's able to just hop right in. So he keeps on going because, you know, he got time. You know, he's trying to keep time as well. And, you know, Cletus is is behind him and is like, what, do you got a woman in a wedding dress in your yeah. car? And as they're going along, a van pulls up to her broken down car and three kids come out to start to strip the car. They take yeah, it takes no time to, for someone to start stripping that car down. Unfortunately for them, Buford T. Justice pulls up. Yes. And he gets out of the car and immediately we get the character of Buford T. Justice. Yep. The smug swagger immediately assaults. He just gets worse from here. Yep. You know, smacks two of them around and says, That's an intention getter. Yes. And he questions them about what happened to the, the woman in the car. And they tell him, well, she got in a Trans Am and this was the license plate number. And then he tells them, okay, you stand there with your hands on the car. Don't move. Don't go home. You can think about it, but don't do it. And he and Junior, played by, his, by Mike Henry, who... I wanted. I thought about giving the Whit Bissell Award to Paul Williams, but I gotta give it to Mike Henry because Mike Henry, as Junior, is playing the most thankless role that anybody probably has ever played in such a big movie, and he does it with such aplomb and he's perfect. He's he really is. Um, he's, he is fantastic because, uh, you know, having to, having to share the screen with Jackie Gleason, just doing this amazing performance, it can't be easy. And yet and he still stands out because he's just, his timing is just excellent. He works with them so well. He not only, he takes all of Jackie Gleason's abuse and just, you know, just takes yeah. it almost like whatever, you know, he, he's, he play, Junior is a dimwit. And that's giving him too much credit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Junior is not an intelligent person. <laughs> but he plays it so genuine. And so, and like you said, his timing with Jackie Gleason is so, and Jackie Gleason was already a legendary comedic performer by the time, Oh yeah, you know, they hit on it. And here's Mike Henry, who was a football player turned actor, and he's Yes, I read that. And he does it all so well. Yep. He is hey. incredible. Yep. And you, his role would just vanish without you even really realizing it. But if he was not in the movie, there would be this big hole to it. Yeah, exactly. Because um, the exactly because so much of so much of Jackie Gleason, you know, it's great when he's interacting with the rest of the cast or, you know, out, but but a lot of it is spent with him in the car and he needs someone to play off of. And they ended up doing a great job uh, picking him because he, he he holds in there really well. His his and, just re, his reactions is like one word kind of like bewilderness, um, uh, in response to um, Jackie and you know that yeah he, it's it's great he's he's fantastic um, and you're right there would be a hole because like the, most of it is him being chased right it's bandit being chased so Gleason needed someone yeah they had the CB and stuff but Gleason needed someone to play off of in those scenes and uh, it's it's great he's great and his. The other thing is the character, all the abuse he takes from him, still clearly has an affection for his daddy. His daddy, yep. That's his daddy. And I mean, again, just to point out just how loathsome a person Buford T. Justice is, at one point he says, right to Junior, there is no way you came from my loins. The first thing I'm going to do when I get home is punch your mama in the mouth. Oh, yeah. No, he's a despicable person. He's and an he absolutely just, despicable person. And Junior just sits there like, yeah, I guess, Daddy, okay, you know? <laughs> right. Well, that's the, exactly. No, it's like, it's, it's, it's his fault he's dumb, <laughs> you know? Uh, or, or in this case, yeah, it's, it's, it's his mama's fault. Like, um, you, you can tell, like, uh, you could tell he's probably not a great dad <laughs> for T justice, like, you know, behind the scenes when he's not being riled up by the bandit and, and having to chase his son's, you know, would be wife uh, across four states. Um, he's probably still not a good guy. And, and that's where we got to get into this. The real reason he's after the bandit is yep. he's not after the bandit. He's after Sally Field, who has just left his son at the altar. Correct. Correct. He was supposed to marry him and... They decorated the entire town for $40. <laughs> and she's run out on him. <laughs> yep. And it's all about, and, it, and it's, again, it's not about his son. It's about how it made him look. The oh, yeah, no, he was insulted. Yeah. Him look like, and that she's going to, he's going to get her and get the bandit. And like, I mean, Granted, what we are dealing with here is a lack of respect for the law, but that's not really what it's about for Buford T. Justice. No, it's about communism. <laughs> communism. <laughs> communism. Yeah. Now, to the movie's credit, the only intelligent lawman they show through the entire movie, the only intelligent, articulate lawman is... Uh, 
Oh, I already forgot. Bradford. Uh, what was I forgot the character's name, but it's an African American sheriff who is in Arkansas and is rightfully in the pursuit of the bandit, despite Buford T saying, "Everybody get out of my way! This man is mine." Um. So yeah, like most of the police in the movie are either played as just being slow, um, or except in the case again of the one guy who actually has it together. But unfortunately, the the I guess that's what who did he say it was? Like he was like the mayor's kid or something like that was his driver, yeah. uh, and it just didn't quite have it together. So most of the police, most of the police chasing after the bandit, or most of the sheriffs or whatever chasing after the bandit, are either shown as just kind of not terribly bright or in the case of Buford Justice just an outright awful awful person um, they're, they're mostly caricatures exactly they're all entirely caricatures which again um, that's that's I mean this is you know it's an outlaw. it's a comedy yeah it's, it's celebrating the outlaw it's celebrating mm-hmm. mostly you know because this was made at the time when CB radio was a big thing you know it was a it was a pop culture thing and truckers at the time there were so many trucker movies Oh, yeah. I mean, action movies, comedy movies, road movies. The trucker had become in the 70s the new cowboy. Right. The new mythical working man hero of the of America. Right. And you know what? Maybe if we still gave them that credit now, we'd be doing a little bit better because, you know, these guys, we forget how much, you know, a lot of times they're vilified for, you know, but... They do keep America going. So oh, yeah, we just wouldn't is, have stuff. <laughs> yeah, so much of our stuff is shipped by trucks. And these guys, it's it's a lonely job, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, respect to the trucker. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, you know, that's this, again, this movie, yeah, it, it's just supposed to be fun. Exactly. Um, Everybody's a caricature to an extent. Um, no one... I mean, there, except uh, Justice is obviously a bad guy, but there aren't any real good guys. Technically, they're break the bandits breaking the law, but it's in a and, sort of charming, you know, wink and a nod, Robin Hood kind of way. And he's just moving beer yeah, across state lines. He's Come moving on. beer. He's not killing anyone. Lines. And yes, he's he's driving recklessly. Uh, I think the biggest criminal thing he does is he busts up a bunch of mailboxes. So, yep. you know, boo on him for that. But otherwise. Well, they do go. Through, I guess technically it's Cletus who does, but they do go through a lot of. Um, it, there is a lot of reckless endangerment. We'll say. I mean, it, it, uh, justice isn't. I mean, I, I guess justice. You could certainly look at it as like attempted murder. That's probably going to a stretch, but there are people getting hurt out there. I would imagine. Because he's kind of going through, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's just in his roulette. He's that blind pursuit of justice. And yep. that's, that's the thing is, like, everybody is on the bandit side. He's got people all over the road who know he's coming and give him a heads up. And Sure. He's uh, a local legend. Uh, literally said at one point. You know, don't come this way. Don't come that way. There's, there's people who will, you know, at one point he's got a couple of guys who are driving a hearse who specifically wrote their funeral procession in front of Buford T to slow him down. Right. It's like the reverse of the warriors where ever, you know, the, 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 everybody on like the communication side is trying to help the bandit, not kill after. 
And this movie pokes fun at everybody. It gives mm-hmm. caricatures, you know, the little old lady driver. Yes. You know, the, you know, the, the, the Asian driver. Everybody gets a chance to be insulted, you know. Yep. Yeah, this movie is not by any means politically correct. But it wasn't trying to be mean in any manner or fashion, except perhaps to law enforcement at the time. No, and and what? Yeah, exactly. And and what might be forgotten a little bit or misunderstood if you're younger and watching it now is that CB culture at the time was a thing. It was the akin. It was, it was probably the closest equivalent to Twitter, I guess. Oh, yeah. um, people would just communicate over CB radio because that's just it was just a thing. It was a novelty. It's like oh, CB is a thing, and I can just listen to random trucker chatter going by and talk back to them, you know, because I'm on, you know, because I'm on whatever CB channel. It was just it was a way to pass the time. Your parents, uh, if they're old enough, or their grandparents might still have a CB somewhere. People had a lot of fun with it. It was it was the social network at the time. Right, exactly. It was the equivalent to chatting with your friends on uh, on your phone now. You you made up your own handle, and you could be whoever you wanted to be for the most part. Yep. If if you want to see this take a dark turn, you know, check out Joyride with yeah. Paul Williams and uh, Ted Levine. Technically, Ted Levine. But who was the Steve Zahn? Steve, Steve Zahn, Zahn. Yeah, the guy in it. So yeah, you can see the downside of pretending to be who you're not. Right. Yeah. But it's. But yeah, it was like it was one of the earliest you could say social media platforms. Yeah. So again, like this movie is just trying to have fun. Yep. You know, right, right from the bet, right from the money, and then even right down, like, well, what are we doing this for? And Bandit says, for. The, the money, the glory, and the fun, but mostly yep. for the money. But that's, you know, he, he, he says to Sally, you know, as he's meeting and greeting with Sally Field, and for a good long while, they keep saying, why is this guy from Texas still after us? Because mm-hmm. they don't know the deal. And at first, Sally Field isn't telling him why. Right. She's like, I, I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, they're having a little bit of conversation, and, you know, she says, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, for the most part, I show off. Yep. And that's what he's doing. And and you could tell by the way Burt Reynolds acts throughout the entire movie that that's probably about right. Like, he's not kidding. That's just what he does. This is just him. <laughs> he's just my, the bandit. <laughs> one of my favorite scenes comes along, you know, after they stop for some burgers and they meet up with Cletus on the side of the road and he introduces Cletus to, he's given uh, Sally Field the nickname Frog because she hops mm-hmm. around and he'd like to jump her. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. This is very 70s, yeah. It's, it's uh, very Bernal 70s, yeah. So they, they, they have a meeting and they introduce him to Fred and, you know, all right, we need to get back on the road. And so they drive off on the Trans Am and Cletus goes, okay, Fred, get in the truck. Get in the truck, boy. I don't want to lift you into... And Fred goes running off and he yep. gets back to them, and you just see Fred happily swimming in this pond, having a good old time. And Cletus is losing it, like you, you gotta, we're losing time, and you're out here swimming. And you think about it, you know, they're in the South during the summer. It must be hot as hell. Yeah, Fred was probably hot and just wanted to take a swim and cool off. I, I, I do appreciate that. Um... It was also explained, and it's it's in the movie. They said the thing where um, they're also kind of doing it just because they said it couldn't be done. Yeah. They're just doing it for the challenge. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess I guess Fred wanted to know. <laughs> what the yeah. Fred wants to know what are we doing this for? This 
they said it couldn't be done. That's why we're doing it. Okay, Fred says that's okay. <laughs> that that makes me laugh every time. I've seen the movie a couple of times actually because I did enjoy it that much um, since since we watched it. And uh, yeah, it's 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 one of my favorite little scenes in the movie. It actually makes me wonder whether Fred was Jerry Reed's dog because he treats them the way a person would treat their own pet. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, they put the stuff on them like they're human and like they're talking back to them. And yep. we both had dogs and we've both done it. Like, you know, Absolutely. Like the dog's having a part of this conversation, which it's not. But, you know, that's just the way he treats Fred. It makes Fred a character. He's right. He's almost Chewbacca. You know, exactly. He's the Fred is a character in the movie. I mean, it's not a lot of it's not a ton of screen time, but they make use of it. Yeah. And then, you know, unfortunately, Fred gets him in a little trouble when he pulls over to the side of the road a little later to get some food. And. You know, there's bikers hanging out at one of the stops that Cletus is usually in on. And one of the bikers claims Fred bit him and. Let's face it, Fred ain't biting nobody. Fred don't want no trouble. Fred's a sweet little dog. And that starts a fight between Cletus and, and these bikers where he gets beat up and tossed out the door. And, you know, the, the guy who owns the place apologizes to him. And it's like, yeah, that's all right. Because we find out later, it's usually how Cletus spends his time in a roadhouse anyways, getting beat up. And you get the famous scene, you know, it's almost, it's, it's a famous joke too, where, you know, these bikers think they got the better of the guy. And as he pulls his truck out, he runs down all their motorcycles, smashes them up good. And for those who worry about gas prices today, did you hear what the bill was for uh, Cletus's fill up? 7384 like i know you you know you're old when you're talking about how bad gas prices are but it's you know right now and uh well 2022 now it's it's quite a bit bad and i nearly caught up to that now granted i know it's the 70s and i think this is just before the oil embargo but yeah that's that that definitely dates the movie as much as anything else I mean, I, diesel fuel too it wasn't you know just your regular gas it was diesel but Man, I mean, and he does say that had he had pulled in because he needed gas. So obviously his tanks were near empty and a long haul truck is going to have some pretty huge gas tanks. But man, the way he says three set that that price and nobody even blinks or it's not even like, well, it's going to cost this much. No, right. it's just stated so matter of factly. Well, I mean, again, just again to, to date things, like doesn't uh, the bandit? I think he buys like some burgers and drinks for like a buck fifty. Yes, yes, he gets an iced tea and a and I think uh, three cheeseburgers. Yeah, it comes to a buck fifty. Yeah, you know. And then he also buys Buford T. Justice his Dr Pepper and Diablo sandwich. Diablo sandwich, which um, I guess. I guess there's no de definite answer as to what exactly that is, but it seems to be, and this actually sounds pretty good, um, that it was probably some sort of like uh, Louisiana hot sauce, Texas toast, and um, some sort of like hot sausage or something, which does sound fantastic. I you'd pull pork with a hot sauce. Uh, yeah, exactly. I've heard a variation of both, but I guess yeah. it depends on where you are. It does sound mighty tasty regardless. It does sound like, yeah, it does sound like it'd be quite good. And I'm a fan of Dr. Pepper. 
It's one. It's my. It's my favorite. And you know, again, this is at this point. Buford T. Justice and Bandit standing right next to each other. He knows who you. He you know recognizes the. Could you not? Yeah. But since they haven't actually met, you know, Justice has no idea who this guy is. He's just the guy who helped clean his shirt and paid for his lunch. Yep. So another interesting scene in this movie is there's a part where Sally Field and Burt Reynolds' characters come from two different worlds. So she's oh, yeah. talking about Stephen Sondheim, Sondheim and other people because you know she's a dancer. She's she's been on Broadway briefly, and you know he goes like, "Well, you know, I don't know who that is. Do you know who?" Um, yeah, he starts um, mentioning like race car drivers and and country western singers. Yeah, and, and and she doesn't know who they are, and he puts it brilliantly, and it's still true today. Mm-hmm. When you talk to somebody about certain things, it depends on where you're from. De- depends on how stupid you appear to be. Right. And I remember as this was about 20 years ago when I was working at Borders Books and I was looking up books written by Henry Winkler, specifically designed for dyslexic children. And I'm typing in and I'm like, oh, Henry Winkler, the Fonz. And the woman I was talking to had no idea like the Fonz. What is that? What is that word you're saying? I'm like, the Fonz. Henry Winkler was the Fonz. And she just kind of nods at me like she's talking to an idiot, which technically she was. But Yeah, that's fair to say. You know, she's like, I, like you know, he played the Fonz on Happy Days. She's like, oh, I, I, I don't know that show. And I was like, all right. You know, I just assumed everybody knew Happy Days, but she didn't. And I'm like, all right, well, she knew who Henry Winkler was. She wanted his books. That's good enough for me. But, you know, she probably could name, you know, 20 people. I would have no idea who they are. I mean, somebody comes to me with some of today's biggest wrestling stars. I'm not going to. I don't know who they are. Oh, I'm the same with I'm the same with music, especially now. I mean, geez, here we are 40 miles outside of Boston. I can tell you a single player for the Red Sox's current team. There you go. No idea. What, just out of curiosity, was it the one and the same Henry Winkler? Was it? Yes. The Henry, yeah. oh, not just yeah, someone. Henry, name. Henry Winkler himself was dyslexic. I knew that's. I actually knew it when she came in asking for the books that he had a series of books designed specifically for dyslexic children. I didn't know that. Um, okay, that's cool because I, I remember being somewhat confused when I was very young. And I was aware of, I think I'd seen maybe one one of the Star Trek movies by then, maybe two of them. And there was also like the Dr. Spock who wrote the books on raising yes. children. That confused the hell out of me. And for, even though I knew they weren't the same person, every single time I heard it, it would throw me up. That's my favorite is um, <laughs> the Alien Nation TV show when the alien uh, is like, have, is going to have another child. He's like, I need that book by Mr. Spock. And the human character corrects him. Dr. Spock. Mr. Spock is one of you guys. So, yeah. yeah. I, uh, that's from the TV series? The TV series, Alien Nation. Okay, because I'm not sure I ever watched the movie. I'm not sure if I ever watched the series either. You, well, you would remember if you'd seen the movie because you got the great Mandy Potemkin playing the alien and the great that's James right. Conn playing the cop. Yeah, you'd think I would. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen it. Yeah, 
I know I saw the show before I saw the movie. Okay. Anyways, back, back to the actual movie. <laughs> back to Smokey and the Bandit. So, eventually, you know, they they do make it in time. And for, for a second there, they don't think they're going to. Bandit's willing to call it off because they got the police hunt on their trail. And he says, like, they don't know Snowman exists, so let's call it here. They're going to get me, but they won't get you. Right. And, you know, he's just trying to protect Snowman. He's the family man. And Snowman's like, well, maybe it's time we introduce the world to the Snowman. And he takes the lead, and they go battling through to the truck rodeo to get that beer to Big Enos Burdett. And Paul Williams has another great line. Your day's about to be ruined, Daddy. As the bandit pulls up. And, you know, of course, the police are hot on their tail. And Big Enos, being the good sport he was, says, you know what? Here, take my caddy and you guys can get away. And then little Enos sweetens the deal by saying, how about double enough? Then you drive up to Boston and bring back Daddy and me some clam chowder in 18 hours or less. Which can't be possible. Bandit accepts the deal, and Cletus is like, you're crazy, and I'm divorced. You know, you got me in even deeper. And I thought about this, because I looked it up. It is 16-hour drive from Atlanta to Boston, one way. Right, that doesn't seem nearly long enough. But you think about this. They have to get to Boston and back with clam chowder in 18 hours. They can get that on a plane. True. I guess then. Yeah. I guess if they're going to hop a plane, absolutely. I mean, granted, with with the the movie ends with them going off, and actually before they go off, you know, they pass by because all through the movie, Buford's car is getting drenched. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite running gags it's throughout the film. Falling apart. It's oh, worse and up. worse as they get going, and by the time it ends <laughs> the movie, he is knocked off the side of the road looking dejected as they drive past and he pulls up the CB and says, you know, is, is, is Buford justice out there. And, you know, he actually says, I gotta say, you know, I, you were the best who's ever come after me. You may have lost, but you're the best. And Buford says, well, let me say you are the greatest pursuee I've ever had to go after. Now, let's drop the cordial and why don't you tell me where you are? And at first, Bandit's like, well, I'm the guy dressed in the cowboy outfit down at the... No, no, I can't do that to you. Look over your left shoulder. (laughs) Turns around and there's the Bandit right there smiling at him. And he says, we're going to Boston for some clam chowder. They (laughs) beat off and Buford turns out after him and poor Junior, who would been thrown out of the car goes running after but daddy who's gonna hold your hat because it's all through the movie because once they lose the hood of their car at one point Junior's holding holding the hat down holding Justice's hat he insists on wearing to the point where they get out of the car and they're walking and he holds on to his father's hat it is just he is so good at the role of Junior. I had to give him the Whip Pistol Award. My, my favorite, one of my favorite uh, bits too, with the two of them, is right after the car, right after the, the the you know the roof gets torn off. The roof's gone, Daddy. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> and he says it so simple, so, so deliberate, so perfectly. It makes me so genuine, genuine like. 
The roof's gone. Yeah. Way to go. We we had a roof. We went under that truck, and now we don't have a roof. Or is it he's just he's just an FYI? <laughs> hey, the roof's gone. No the shit. The great part is when they're on the side of the road and Buford had left his door open and some guy purposely does knock the door yeah. off the car. I got the evidence here. And I'm like, right. your ass to... Junior, put the evidence in the car. He calls it evidence, yeah. But, but Daddy, put the evidence in the car. And he turns around to get in the car and Junior's sitting there holding the door on his lap. Yeah, he's not super bright. <laughs> Justice is like, put the evidence in the backseat, Junior. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the two of them, again, it, Buford Justice is a despicable man who's probably done some horrible things, um, you know, outside of the storyline. But, it, yeah, you know, they're, they're, the two of them are just hysterical to watch during this whole movie. And as funny as it is, he is a scary man. He's not oh, yeah. the type of person you want to put you in the to put you in the back of a police car or have an <laughs> interrogation room because he clearly doesn't have any, you know, compunction about police brutality, and he probably doesn't even think there's such a thing as police brutality. It's oh, simply no. dispensing justice in his uh, mind. Ex- exactly. In fact, going going way back to you know back to the beginning of the movie, pretty much. Uh, when he comes across those kids, you know, pulling apart Sally Field's car, um, this is from the, now this is in his jurisdiction or near it anyway. So those kids seem to know who he is. And there's a scene after he he's already pulled away where, you know, one of the kids is like, all right, I'm going to go. And the other guy's, no, I'm staying. Yeah. <laughs> They're terrified. Yeah. They, too, they were told to wait there until another officer came to collect them. And yeah, they, they were more worried about what would happen to them if they didn't than if they did yeah and i imagine that's quite wise whoever whoever decided to stay it, it, it's it's probably quite wise quite wise now we of course never really know whether or not bandit won the double or nothing bet but in the next movie they do have a brand new truck so right it looks like they probably won right you also get the impression at least i did from um Big Enus that he just he's a gambler like he's he's in it for he the thrill in, yeah, and he knows he that enjoys, he knows that the bandit is and tries to bet against him just because yeah. he can yeah well and again after they make the second bet is like he'll never do it in time leaving little Enus is like well I'm putting money on the bandit I yeah twenty to twenty to one he won't make it and and uh, little Enus is like put money on the give me five hundred on the bandit yeah 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 Paul Williams is great in this too but it's a, it's no pun intended, a smaller role. Sure. Big Edith and Little Enos. And they, you know, they intentionally cast two people who couldn't be more different in height because um, Big Enos is quite tall. Uh, and well, he's like 6'8 or something like that. I think he's listed as. But the, I, um, and I think the first time I saw, when I saw the movie, I assumed they were brothers, not father and son. Because right. Because there's just not enough of a discrepancy in age between the two actors. It doesn't look I, like it, yeah. Yeah, I think there's only like probably a ten year difference between the two of them, but you right. know, whatever. It's you know, I, I I'm not sure there's enough difference. Well, Mike Henry's probably young enough to have been Jackie Gleason's son. Yeah, could, yeah, yeah. That one felt a bit more real. So I mean, I don't even think he was playing really... like a movie twenty, you know, yeah. <laughs> or a movie twenty five. I, I don't even think we really need to hype this movie. It's so famous. 
Maybe yeah, exactly. You, know, you haven't. If you haven't seen it, you, you probably should check it out. But uh, most of our listening demographic seems to be in our age group, so you've probably you know. seen it. Yeah. yeah. And if you haven't, go go back and see it. Like if it's something you haven't seen in a while, because that's kind of the premise of this podcast in a lot of ways is going back to stuff we haven't seen in a while. Um, and this is worth. This is well worth doing it. So it, of course, had its first sequel. You know, Smokey and the Bandit Two. Which, as a kid, I would have tell, told you was the superior movie. <laughs> as an adult, I was wrong. I was really wrong. Now, as a kid, it's just because <laughs> there's an elephant in the second movie that automatically makes it funnier. Right. It doesn't. As a kid, it's got Dom DeLuise as the comic relief sidekick. That makes it funny. It doesn't. Not that Dom <laughs> DeLuise isn't great in his role in the movie either, but... Burt it just Reynolds, doesn't, yeah. Burt Reynolds had said he did not enjoy making the second movie, and to like a cash in, trying to make an actual good movie, and I see that now. <laughs> There's some enjoyable bits to it. It's it's worth checking out. It's not a bad movie. It's not like oh, don't see Smokey and the Bandit too. It's a fun enough follow up. So, you know, if you enjoyed the first one. Take a look at the second one. You might get some chuckles out of it. You might get entertained. Was was that Hal Needham as well? That was Hal Needham as well. Okay. The third movie, however, was a mess before it even came out. Mm -hmm. The third movie, Burt Reynolds is not involved in outside a cameo towards the end of the movie. Which is huge problem number one. He knew, like, you know, um, you might have got me into the second one, but this one, you can see the dumpster is already on fire. Why are you going to think I'm going to jump in? Right. So what they, and there's still arguments to this day about whether it's true or not, but all the evidence, and I have seen the third movie, and the third movie you can tell if you've seen enough movies, you can tell when a movie has been pieced together. Mm -hmm. The first movie was... The, the third movie was supposed to star Jackie Gleason as both Smokey and the Bandit. To the point it was originally titled Smokey is the Bandit. Okay. And from what I can tell, the original idea, because it's still there's still some semblance of it left, in what finally came out as Smokey and the Bandit 3, that the retired Buford T. Justice has is suffering some sort of dementia. Okay. And so it's possible that the bandit he's chasing, which was played by Jackie Gleason, was a figment of his imagination. Okay. The movie begins with him announcing his retirement and everybody saying, don't you regret that you never actually caught the bandit? So it would seem that the original idea was him not being able to retire fully until he caught the bandit. And in his own mind, you know, he becomes the bandit. Okay. And test audiences were apparently very confused by this whole concept and what they did was they brought back Jerry Reed as Cletus Snow only Cletus was going to be the bandit he was going to get to drive the Trans Am and have the mustache and the cowboy hat okay 
So Jerry Reed plays the bandit in the finished film. And again, you can tell this was done after because every scene Jerry Reed is in has no impact on the scenes Jackie Gleason is in. Oh, weird. Like he will come and go from the movie and then it will be right back to when Jackie Gleason... Like, okay, so the plot of what came out is Big Enos and Little Enos have now bet Buford T. Justice he can't drive from Florida to Texas or whatever with this big fish on the top of his car to promote <laughs> to promote a, 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 a nationwide seafood chain that Big Enos is going to open up. Okay. So if he can get this big fish on top of his car from this place to the other place, he wins the bet. And then they call Cletus to be the bandit to steal the fish from him so he can't win the bet. And of course, every time Cletus gets a hold of it, circumstances happen that that fish ends up right exactly where it left off before Cletus came onto the scene. Oh, boy. So you can tell the stuff was filmed later and added in to the voice where there's even some AR work um, not, not um, you know dub, when they, they, they dub in the voice later on. AD or something like that isn't it? Yeah. I don't remember but yeah. But that it's you, you can tell it's not Jackie Gleason talking. Ew. Whoever it is is the voice of Fred Flintstone. And it's Ew. not really the voice of Fred Flintstone not Jackie Gleason. Ew. I mean, technically, Fred Flintstone is a Jackie Gleason analog, but yeah, ew. Yes. <laughs> Which is probably why they went to that guy. But this movie is just... Or Ralph Cramden analog, anyway. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's so pieced together and so... It's almost worth seeing just to see it. And see, like, yeah, that's... It, it's not a so bad it's good. It's a so bad it's bad but it's a train wreck you can't look away from. I got you. I got you. That's the thing. Like that's, that's a good point. I guess that's a good way of putting it. That kind of explains the thought process I have in my mind, which is like, this sounds terrible, but I kind of need to see it. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's weird, but you can see how it fully buried the bandit franchise from there. Oh, I guess until they made four more. Well, again, you got the four TV movies, which are included in the seven-movie Outlaw collection, where um, Brian Bloom takes over the role as the bandit. Now, I don't know whether this is officially in the same universe as the the, the movies, or whether it's a spinoff or completely under. But Hal Needham created these movies. Hal Needham; these are Hal Needham films. They were made direct for television. For what was I don't remember. Do you remember the um, the Universal Action Pack? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah That's right. Yeah, it was the syndicated action adventure movies that were sold to television in syndication, and it's where it's most famous because it's where the Hercules Legendary Journeys and right. Tech Wars got their start. Yes, yep. Those actually went on to be running series. Hercules, a pretty good one for quite a while. Yes. It also, this was also the location to the four Midnight Run sequels. With oh, I didn't know that. Mc, Christopher McDonald takes over as the Robert De Niro character. I think it was Christopher <laughs> McDonald. 
yeah. Um, Those obviously I didn't go to school think so. either. But, um, yeah. Is he so Shooter McGavin? Where, I think he is. Yes. Okay, yeah. The, that, so that's where these four movies came from. I've seen them all once, and they're kind of meh. You would think there was, with Hal Needham behind it, there would at least be some fast-paced, but uh, it's just, eh. It, is he supposed to be the Bo Darvell, or? No, he, and I, I okay. don't believe he even goes by Bo Darvell, but I okay. don't know if he's, from if what I remember, like I said, I saw him once. I haven't seen him again. I think he's playing one of Cletus's kids. Okay, I so he's the new bandit. Yes, gotcha. but I, I gotcha. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I'd have to rewatch him, and I don't want to. Yeah. Do you suppose? And and I and I imagine the answer is probably yeah. Uh, do you suppose that those were intended to be trying to make a syndicated TV series, and they just oh, packaged sure. them as movies eventually? Okay. I'm sure. I mean, they were sold to television. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Why not? I mean, it's worth a shot. Right, exactly. It's worth a shot. But I guess I didn't really think about that until now. But I mean, they don't even have the energy of like a Dukes of Hazard episode. Mm. Less problematic car. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I guess, I get, you know, I'm sure there's there's fans out there, you know, that's why there's chocolate and vanilla. I mean, I, I expect this. I still expect this movie to get remade somehow, or at least. I mean, I guess you get the, you know, I, I, you know, and actually, I guess, do you want to do recommendations? Because I have that. This one's kind of, this one's kind of hard in that respect. Because well, it's, I could see it being remade, but you'd probably have to do it as a period piece, right? Or the other thing you could do, you could either replace what they're getting, but you could. One of the things you could do was say. Hey, I like this micro brew that's only available in this certain part of the country because it's, you know, a, a smaller brewery. Can you get this here to me for a party I'm having cross country and under, you know, so you could still do it. I mean, well, I, I mean, to me, I guess the, it, I, to me, I, guess, I suppose the motivation for the rate, if we want to get into this a little bit, I, I suppose the motivation for the bandit to do whatever he's doing, hell, if, if it was taking place now, I think it would be way easier than that. It would be way easier to convince us that he's doing it just for the sake of the entertainment. Because that's that was, I mean, granted, Enos really wanted his 400 cases, of course, but I also feel like he he got the same thrill out of making the bet as well. Whereas right. nowadays, it would be like some YouTuber who is just like, let's the go to wherever challenge and see if you can do it in there 18 you hours. You know, that, that, to me, or, that's enough. <laughs> just a, that's a good answer, you know? It could be a college hazing thing, you know? You can get yeah. into the fraternity if you do this. Right, right. Um, um, I'm just trying to think, like, what... I mean, I guess I didn't watch enough of these movies because there was probably many more Chase movies that I'm thinking of, but I, I can't really come up with... Can't really come up with too many because, I mean, the, the, the closest analog now, like the, the certainly slicker and um, more, you know, uh, uh, cooler version would be, you know, Fast and the Furious. But And I like those movies, don't get me wrong. It's, the tone is entirely different. They're yes. kind of sort of similar in that they're sort of car centric and that there's chasing going on, but they're very, very totally different movies. I mean, the obvious way to go is the even more un PC Cannonball Run. Oh, God. Yeah. Also starring uh, Burt Reynolds and by Hal Needham and has an unofficial appearance by the Bandit in them. Yes, true. 
towards the end of the cannonball run, we see a trans Anne being driven by a guy wearing bandit's jacket and it's being yep. played by Burt Reynolds stunt driver. So it is the bandit in the cannonball run. Yep. So cannonball run, but yeah, there is, I mean, just a lot of the chase. Another movies. movie that's retroactively problematic. Yeah. Certainly cannonball so, run more so than uh, this. Yeah, the, the plenty of chase movies like you know Dirty, uh, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry is more of a crime thriller chase movie than a good time, you know, fun road trip. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to. Oh, the Hitcher. No, there you go, the Hitcher. <laughs> you said Joyride. Yeah. No, by the way, no, obviously. <laughs> the Hitcher is technically a chase movie, I guess. But yeah, no, not, not The Hitcher. It's a great movie, don't get me wrong. But yeah. Two Lane Blacktop. Yeah. White Line Fever. Um, well, you know what? Uh, um, over the Top is kind of got trucker. It's kind of yeah. arm wrestling. Convoy, I guess we said before. I mean, Convoy. Convoy is, yeah, that's, that's, I haven't seen Sam that a lot. Peckinpah. Is it? Uh, yeah, Sam Peckinpah. Why does that not feel like a Sam Peckinpah movie? Is it because it, it's not incredibly violent? It, it doesn't, but yeah, it is kind of a. You know, this is kind of hard to, to make comparisons yeah. to. Yeah. Why? Than like, other Hal Needham, Burt Reynolds movies. Right. Like if I were older in the seven, if I were older, right. And, and remembered 19, say 78, 79, 80 that well. And I'm sure there were tons and tons and tons of knockoffs. I bet there were a couple that were pretty good, but I just can't come up with any at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's the last race with Lee majors in a post-apocalyptic future where he's, Racing the last race car across the landscape with the last of the world's fuel. Do you remember that one? I, you know what? Um, I, I slowly started to as you were describing it, but not not very well. But it it does it does ring familiar. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know what? The chase with Charlie Sheen. Oh, that's a fun that's one. There you go. There's yeah, a good that's, one. That, that's actually a fun movie. Yeah. All right, so there's our recommendations. Uh, did you pick a Whit Dussel Award winner? Um, honestly, I mean, I wanted to be clever and cute and and somewhat honest and pick Fred, but no, I'm going with the same. Um, I'm going with. Uh, I'm going. I'm going with that. Uh, you know what, Fred? Actually, again, Fred adds a lot to the movie. There would be something missing if he wasn't there, but. Yeah, Mark Henry is Mike. Yeah, Mike I'm, going Henry. With, I'm going with Mike Henry. Yeah, uh, it is fantastic. I'm, I'm going with Mike Henry uh, mostly because he he like you said, it's a thankless role. Like he he's sort of forgotten because like again, you would you would be it wouldn't it wouldn't be unfair to only explain. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, Burt Reynolds and Jackie Gleason and like, and Sally Field. It would be not entirely unfair to completely forget. But then you watch it and you realize just how gold he is with um, Jackie Gleason in this movie. They play off so well. And, um, oh, there's one more thing, actually, speaking of Fred. One of my favorite stories about Fred, and I assume this to be true because it does sound like a Burt Reynolds thing, is that that particular Basset Hound, the one who ends up playing Fred, was chosen by um, Burt Reynolds because he responded so poorly to commands. (laughs) (laughs) Which just feels like such a, it feels right. It just totally feels right. 
You know, there's just two more things I want to point out, too, about the movie. There's two scenes. One where they drive by a police officer who is urinating on the side of the road. Yep. But when you see him, it looks like he's urinating on his car door. It's very peculiar. Yeah, I still, yeah. Like, obviously, I guess the officer didn't want to get too far away from his vehicle in case he needed to get in real quick. But come on, dude. Get off onto the soft shoulder and do your business. Right. Like, what did your car do? Are you cleaning it? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. And another part is when when Justice is talking to the other sheriff. And the sheriff is like, you're being, you know, law enforcement from Texas is not germane to the situation. (laughs) Germans. The Germans ain't got nothing to do with it. Germans ain't got that was a great line. My, my favorite, my favorite Gleason line, uh, and I'm not even going to try to do it because, uh, you know, because it's Jackie Gleason. But what he's talking—that's communism. <laughs> just his, his whole thing just broke it down to communism. Well, that's, that's the thing. That just made me laugh so hard. Communism. He's just that that classic, you know, macho, toxic, you know. Yeah. America, love or lever, love this land or I'll bury you in it. Type of right uh, you know, over, you know. But yeah, the, this is a fun movie. Yep. All right, so I guess the last thing I got to do is connect it to the Magnuson Seven, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do that through Paul Williams. Okay. And you know what? It just so happens that last week on Christmas Day, I decided to. I was feeling whimsical. I'm going to watch the Muppet movie again. Well, Paul Williams is playing piano at the El Slizo Cafe where Kermit first meets Fozzie. Well, the owner of the El Slizo Cafe is James Coburn. That's, that's right. How it connects to the Magnificent <laughs> Well, wow. Okay, I completely forgot that. That's a great movie. Paul Williams is not only in the movie, he also wrote the music and scored it. So he is the genius behind no the song Rainbow Connection. He no wrote kid. the song Rainbow Connection. Oh, that's that's awesome. I did I had no idea. That's 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 so cool. So that's your fact of the day, too. Yeah, that's that's a cool that's a cool fact. That's really neat. Well, folks, we thank you for joining us again. Yes. Uh this is the first episode of season two. We're, we're moving new year, new season. So yep. thanks, thank you for coming back. And we hope to have you back next time. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone.